let's get into the word. We're in the book of Acts. Uh, let's begin in uh, chapter 1 this morning. We're going to pick it up in uh, chapter 8 eventually, but a little bit of a run-up to where we are in the book of Acts before we begin. begin. So let us pray, and then we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, we love you tremendously, Lord. I give you thanks for bringing us here this morning to worship you. And just that, that last that last song, Lord, those lyrics in regards to we are going to be praising you forever and ever, offering to you our gratitude, expressing our, our thanks, expressing our praise, expressing your glory and your work and your nature and your character. And we're going to be doing these things as one with you in perfect unity, no division. The whole body of Christ in heaven, in your presence for all eternity, Lord. It just, it overwhelms our souls. And even for just a a snippet of that this morning of worshiping you together in this world. We can't see you, Lord, but how long, how our hearts desire to see you. We can't hear your voice, but we long to hear your voice, Lord. We long to have that aroma of heaven. We get a taste of that, Lord, a glimpse of that as we gather together and here this morning in unity. We came here for your name. We've come here, Lord, to worship you. We've come here to open your word, to hear from you, to honor you, to follow you. And all things, every day, Lord, every moment, because you're worth it, you're worthy. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I've, I've titled, you know, subtitled this study through the book of Acts, His Workmanship. Because as we're traveling through this document, this letter that Luke wrote to this man named Theophilus, we're watching God do his work in the lives of human beings. Sometimes that work, it's to the multitude and to the masses. This morning, we're going to dial in and watch him working in just a couple of individuals. But as we travel through the book of Acts, we're watching him build human beings in his image, in his time, in his way. So at the beginning of this, as, as Luke is addressing Theophilus, He's, he's making mention of the gospel that he wrote, this document that he wrote to Theophilus to begin with, which he says it was about all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. In that gospel of Luke, this is where we have his birth narrative as we sit in the Christmas month here. Uh, again, just remembering our God tabernacling in the flesh, becoming a man, this, this amazing testimony that's associated with that whole event. Again, it's just, it's, it's incredible. But as we watch Jesus grow, we see him anointed with the Holy Spirit, especially at his baptism as, as he is baptized by John He goes down into the Jordan River, he comes up out of the Jordan River, and we're told that the heaven was rent, it was ripped apart, and the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove, and we watch him be anointed by the Holy Spirit. And as we follow Jesus through the Gospels, we're watching him be led by the Spirit in all of his activities. Every single place that he went... Every single synagogue that he taught in or out in the public space where he taught, he is being led by the Holy Spirit. He is being empowered by the Holy Spirit in his speech. He is being empowered by the Holy Spirit as he lays hands on individuals, as he lays hands on the lepers. 
He heals people. He casts out demons. We watch him being led by the Holy Spirit in his life. In this, as we watch Jesus in the book of Acts bodily ascend into heaven, he has left his disciples with the promise that I am going to send to you another helper. You sit in the Gospel of John, all the definitions of who the Holy Spirit is as God, but he is given this title of he is our helper, he is our comforter, he is our teacher, he convicts us of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. He is the one, he is the person of the Godhood that has taken up residence in us through faith in Jesus Christ. He is the one that is speaking us, comforting us, helping us, leading us throughout the day. And it goes about in a way that is just as easy as you waking up this morning and making the determination to be here. You may, it just may be an automatic thing for you because this is what you do on Sunday mornings. But there's been a process to lead you up to this point. And the Holy Spirit is the one that is leading you moment by moment, day by day. Sometimes it feels very supernatural. Like, wow, God just showed up. Most of the times in our lives, it's through a very natural process. As we choose to lay our lives before him, as we choose to approach him in prayer and petition for ourselves and intercede on behalf of other people, as we choose to open up his word and to read and to study and, Lord, reveal yourself to me, as we choose to get up out of those circumstances and to go about our lives looking for the opportunities of, Lord, what do you want me to do today? For most of us, again, we go through these routines that feel very natural, but a lot of the routines in our life, these things have been set up by God for us. You go to work. God has provided those occupations to provide for your household, to provide for your needs. There's a lot of things that we feel that we do just by rote, and they're not an unhealthy rote. It's not an unhealthy rut. This is a holy rut that the Lord has placed you in. And throughout our lives, sometimes he keeps us in those ruts and sometimes he snatches us out of those things and moves us to a different kind of work, a different kind of opportunity. We don't know why, but this is a natural process of the Lord leading us. And in this, as Jesus ascends to heaven and the disciples wait for the promise, he gives this promise that you are going to be baptized, you are going to be immersed into God. You're going to be immersed into the Spirit of God. And not only that, the Spirit of God is going to take up residence in you. And as he takes up residence in you, he is going to empower you to fulfill his will in your life. He's going to enable you to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And that being a witness for Jesus Christ, sometimes it's very specific. And sometimes it's just you are just going about your life in love with your Lord, following him. And this is what we're watching in the book of Acts. Sometimes it's very specific and sometimes it's just, it's a very natural process that's going on. And then as this gospel, as they're being, as they're witnessing Jesus Christ, as the multitudes or individuals are hearing, they're hearing this, this they're responding to the Lord. You responded to the Lord at some point and those first words that you heard would have been to repent. There's something in your life that needs to change. There's something in your life that's missing. The Lord is missing. Your mind is in your flesh. It's of the ways of the world. Repentance is to have a change of mind, to turn away from those things and to turn to the Lord. And this is this. This is an act of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And then there's the conversion process where he is converting us and transforming us to be the men and women of God that he's called us to be, that he's creating us to be. It's a process over time. 
in this, as we are obedient to him, as we are following him, as we are loving him, as we are submitting ourselves to him, as we are being filled with that, that moment of salvation, filled with the Holy Spirit, as he continues to fill us day by day, we are told here in the book of Acts and just in our lives by testimony that he brings these occasions, these times, these seasons of refreshing. Sometimes life is really difficult where you're in the midst of the trial and there the Lord, he is right there with you, refreshing you, strengthening you, telling you that constant exhortation, trust me, I'm faithful, I love you, my grace is sufficient for you. He continues to bring about these times of refreshing, worshiping the Lord this morning. That is the Holy Spirit pouring into us a moment of refreshing where we get to remember his majesty and his power, his acts, his grandeur, and all the burdens that I allow to be placed upon myself, all that stuff just rolls away when I remember who he is, when I remember who I am in him, when I remember who you are in him, when I remember who we are together in him. It's a time of refreshing, leading us to, there is an ultimate time of reformation coming, right? It's this time of restoration. It's this time when um, that there is going to be a doing away with this body. There will be a doing away with all the things of this world because when Jesus comes back, in his fullness, at the end of the millennium, when everything is said and done, he's going to recreate the new heavens and the new earth. We're going to have new bodies and a new name, and we're going to abide in his presence for all eternity. There's a time of restoration coming, and this is what the Holy Spirit is day by day leading us to. So as we sit in the book of Acts, we're watching the Spirit lead individuals to the masses or to other individuals proclaiming who Jesus Christ is nonstop. As we sat in uh, the end of chapter six, we're told that there are these seven men that were of good reputation. They are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. They are being appointed to a specific work in the body of Christ. Stephen and Philip are what chapters 7 and 8 follow. We looked at the first half of chapter 8 last week as Philip was in the midst of persecution, in the midst of Saul causing damage, not just to the church, but to the lives of human beings, even to the point of murder. The Holy Spirit led Philip to go to Samaria, and we sat in that that's a, the context there last week. And now we watch the Holy Spirit in action in Philip's life, not with the masses there in Samaria, but with the singular individual. So picking it up in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, we'll read through the rest of the chapter and we'll back up and discuss. It says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him 
and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture where he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? His life is taken from the earth. So when the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his own way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. All right, so back here in the beginning, we're going to look what I want us to witness in Philip's life is just, I mean, there's, there's obviously a lot of supernatural um, activity going on in Philip's life, in the eunuch's life. There are some brief circumstances of the radical supernatural, but what we're watching is also the spirit lead Philip in just a very natural way. So through persecution, Philip has been scattered out of Jerusalem, and as a human seed, he's been planted there in Samaria. And he's there in Samaria, it says that he's preaching the gospel of Christ, that he's preaching out of the word, that he's, that he's preaching the kingdom of God. He's telling them, this is who Jesus is, this is what Jesus did, and we're told that the multitudes of the Samaritans are responding. Again, we've sat in the, the differences of the cultures and just how radical, like how huge of a testimony it is that the Samaritans are turning in multitude to faith in Jesus Christ. It's a substantial event that's going on here. The apostles come. They affirm what's going on. It says the apostles go on, but there we're left with Philip in this community of Samaria. So... It seems to be extremely successful. People are responding to him. People are responding to the words that he's communicating. The Holy Spirit is responding. People are being healed. Demons are being cast out through Philip as he's interacting with his community. And here, we're not told whether he is praying, whether he's talking to people. We're not told that this is a, a dream at night, but God sends an angel of the Lord to him. Here's a messenger from God that God used to specifically take Philip out from this, what we would define as a successful ministry in Samaria, and go to this deserted place. 
So this road that's towards the south, so Samaria is pretty much in the middle of, of Israel. Jerusalem, where he fled persecution from, is to the south. And now he's being told to go south of Jerusalem towards this road that heads to the west of Gaza, which is the last watering hole before you go down into Egypt. So as this man is heading to go home and down into Ethiopia, modern-day Sudan is where he is from, Philip is being led by God in a supernatural way to leave where he is and to go. And this is, this is the first idea that we want to look at this morning. As the Holy Spirit speaks to us in our lives, as we're already in relationship with the Lord, we're pursuing him, we're in worship, we're in the word, we're in community, we have all these things right there are multiple times where he's going to come into your life. There's already been multiple times where he's come into my life where he says, get up and go. Sometimes this is just, like for me, I started serving the Lord in children's ministry. There came a time where it was, I got up and I went and served out the rescue mission. There was a time where I got up and served in these different capacities. For us, like a major event was get up and leave Salt Lake, arise and go. So there's very... I can sit in that story and I can see how all these natural ways which the Spirit led me over time, over the last 20 years, and then there have been multiple supernatural events where the Lord has sent messengers into my life. As far as I know, I've never seen an angel, but I know that the Lord has used my brothers and my sisters in Christ to come to me and speak words to me. Our arise, our get up and go out of Salt Lake came from a very specific individual that it was one thing, but that's how the Lord, that's what the Lord used to funnel us to where we are today. Arise and go. Does the rebellious heart obey that? Right? This is, this is how the Spirit is leading us in our lives. It's as we are in submission to Him. It's as we are sitting in the heart of Isaiah. So when we sit in Isaiah's calling, he has this vision of the Lord in Isaiah 6, incredible vision of the Lord. Woe is me, I am undone. You know, he beheld God in his glory, in his temple, incredible vision. But when God says, who's going to go, Isaiah raises his hand and says, here am I, send me. That wasn't me. I've been more like others, where like Moses, when God called Moses, what did Moses do? He offered excuse after excuse after excuse of why God should send somebody else. When God called Jeremiah, Jeremiah's like, I'm, I'm young. Solomon said the same thing. I'm young and inexperienced. I don't know how to lead your people. I don't know how to do what you're calling me to do. But we watch Solomon ask. We watch God rebuke Jeremiah and say, Jeremiah, I formed you in your mother's womb. Don't ever say again that you can't speak. Because the words that I'm going to give to you, you are going to get up and go and you're going to speak them. And as you speak them, Jeremiah, the people's faces that you look into, they're going to be hard. They're going to be mean. You and your flesh, Jeremiah, you're going to want to be afraid of what I'm calling you to do. Don't be afraid of their faces. And the reason why is because I, your God, I am with you and I will be with you. Get up. And go and speak the words that I command you. That takes a lot of courage. That takes a lot of faith. That takes a lot of understanding. Who is this God who has created you? 
What has he already done? How has he revealed himself to you to be worth following? What is it about our God that you are willing to give up your very life for? What is it about his love, about his grace, about his attention to you, his care for you? What is it about him that brought you here this morning? What is it about him that's going to continue to lead you into his word and to serve other people? He's beautiful. And again, we can sit here in in his, his manifold beauty in all the different ways our God is majestic and beautiful. We can sit in all these different descriptions about what it is about him that wells up within us. Even sometimes the timid hand of saying, here am I, I'll go, please don't hurt me when I go. But again, his spirit will lead us faithfully. He promises, I am here to empower you to be my witness. So whatever context I send you into, have faith and have trust that I will empower you to perform my will. It's a beautiful, I mean, again, this is just very natural. For Philip, he gets up and goes. Again, this this, this is, we don't have any details really about Philip's life. We don't know how he first came to trust in Jesus as his Lord and Savior. We don't know the specifics of how he found himself in Samaria and all the different details. But what we do know is that this man fell madly in love with Jesus Christ as his Savior. To where he was, even in the point of his life, of I will leave here God is at work in this community. He is doing amazing things in this community. But he just sent a messenger to me, and I'm willing to get up and go what God tells me to do, not knowing what the next step is. And again, this is this whole idea. We walk by faith and not by sight. If God tells us the fifth step and the tenth step and the twentieth step and on down the road, one, we're going to try and fulfill those, uh, those steps ourselves. And two, if we actually knew what the future held with us as we were, for us as we were following Jesus Christ, most of us would probably turn away right now because we would say that it's too hard. We would say that it's impossible. But all things are possible in Christ in his spirit, as he dwells in us, and as he is leading us. So here he's being sent to this specific deserted road, this uninhabited road, and he doesn't know why. And as we get up and go, the second thing we need to do is see. So wherever you are in life today, God has had you get up and go in some context. What is he asking you? What is he directing you to behold, to pay attention to and see today? What is he asking you to see about him? What is he asking you to see about yourself? What is he asking you to see about your household? What is he asking you? What is is he causing you, uh, your attention to be upon here in our congregation? What is he asking you to see? Who is he asking you to see? In your workplace, as you go about your day, what are you seeing? What is, he, what is the Holy Spirit leading you to pay attention to in your life? Again, this is those seasons, this is those occasions, those different times in life. Sometimes he's going to work on A, then he works on B, and then he goes back to A again, and then he jumps to D. And then, you know, he leads us 
in his supernatural way that feels very natural in our lives. For Philip here, it's now that he's in this deserted place, the Holy Spirit is saying, look. And as he is where God has told him to be and he looks, he sees something very natural. Here's a caravan going from Jerusalem to Gaza. It's a wealthy caravan. Somebody's in this chariot, so this would be somebody that we would witness in a limousine today. And it gives us this definition of this man's character. And this is what's really powerful. So as we sit in uh, Jesus saying that you are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, you are going to receive power. You are going to be receive power to be my witnesses. My witnesses here in Jerusalem, in Samaria, in Judea, and to the ends of the earth. So in chapter 8, we are watching the Holy Spirit use Philip and others take the gospel to Samaria, fulfilling what Jesus said in chapter 1. And here, this man from Ethiopia, again, this is not, uh, it's different borders and all that kind of stuff back then. This was known to the Greek and the Roman culture as the, as the very end of the earth. Not that they didn't know that there was land beyond, but as far as like major civilizations and major cultures that the Romans and the Greeks were aware of to the south in Africa, this is the culture that this represents here. And here's this man, we don't get his name, but we get an attribute of his flesh and an attribute of his job. And this is what becomes really important. He's identified as a eunuch. So in, you can go study out the details on this. It's really not a heavy Sunday morning conversation because it's uncomfortable, especially in our culture. And ancient cultures and their violence always shock me. But as a eunuch... In Deuteronomy, so in the law, chapter 23, it says, He who is emasculated by crushing or mutilation shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. So here we're given, here's this man, and this man is from this area of the world. It's defining his ethnicity. So here is this man that is different ethnically from the Jews. So here's this black man from Africa. He's different. He's in Jerusalem for a specific reason. He's there to worship. So in some context, we want to say, well, does he have Jewish blood in his background? Um, we don't know how he became a God-fearer. We don't know how he became a, a Jew by religion. But the Jewish religion says this man, because of the damage that's been done to his flesh, is not allowed in the assembly of the Lord. He's a second-class citizen when it comes to his Jewish religion that he's pursuing there and worshiping in Jerusalem. In Isaiah 56, I'm going to read this really quick because... This man, as he's in his chariot, he is reading in Isaiah. So just a few chapters after where he is reading. Says this. I'm just going to read this. This is awesome. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness. For my salvation is about to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Do not let the son of a foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. 
Listen to this. Nor let the eunuch say, here I am, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuch who keeps my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and holds fast to my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name. Think of this. In the, in the law, this man is excluded from the assembly of the Lord because of the damage in his flesh. Here, later on, the Lord, through a prophet, speaking these words of encouragement, don't let the eunuch say that he is a dry tree anymore. I have provided this place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. You can read through the rest of Isaiah 56. Awesome promise. So here is this man. He's from Ethiopia. He's a eunuch, so it's given us this snapshot of what's going on in his flesh. His job, he has this great authority, is under the authority of Candace. It's not a personal name, it's a title like Pharaoh or like Caesar. Literally the Candace, the queen mother in, in this kingdom. She's the queen of the Ethiopians. This man, he has charge over all of her treasury. He had come to Jerusalem for the specific purpose of worshiping the God who created the heavens and the earth, and now he's going home. So he's had this experience. You have to assume he's uh, received at least snapshots of what's going on in the community, because remember at this time, Paul is there in Jerusalem causing havoc and destroying the church. So there's no doubt as he is getting local news as, these, as he's there that he's being informed of what's going on. He is in his chariot and he's reading out of his Bible. And again, this isn't, I mean, it's not a bound Bible like we have. This is a, this is a scroll. Isaiah is 66 chapters. This is a substantial document. This is an expensive document. And here he is unrolling one side and, and rolling in the other. And here he is in this passage in Isaiah 53, which we're going to go to in a minute. But it says as, as, he, as he gets his eyes up, so he got up and he went. He's opened his eyes, he's seen, and then he's given this command by the Holy Spirit. Again, very natural. I want you to go near and, and overtake this chariot. The words in, in the Greek are, I want you to approach and attach yourself to what's going on and what you see. And here's, and here's what the Holy Spirit leads us to do in our lives. I want you to approach this individual. And I want you to attach yourself to them. I want you to have a conversation with them. I want you to get to know them. I want you to rub shoulders with them in their life and in their context. And notice, it's approach and attach, not approach and attack. The Holy Spirit doesn't need us to go and pour out hellfire and brimstone and, and all the, this kind of, you know, from hatred and, and, you know, our flesh and just all those kinds of things. There is a time from rebuke, for rebuke and we let those things be spirit-led. But here, the Holy Spirit leads us very natural into other people's lives. I want you to approach this person and I want you to attach yourselves to them. And that gets messy. Is it hard to be in relationships with other human beings? It costs you something. It costs you something to be here this morning. Every single one of you, it costs you something to be here. 
it costs you something to fellowship with one another, to really partake in and share in each other's lives. Yes, it takes time, it takes energy, it's uncomfortable. The Lord leads us to be attached to people that are different from us. It forces us to listen because not everybody thinks like I do. Not everybody has my life experiences. Not everybody's from my culture and my background. So to approach another human being and to attach myself to them in some context. And again, this isn't unholy attachment. This isn't being unequally yoked. Just, I mean, pay attention to the words. Come alongside of this person in their life, in their context, in this circumstance. And the next thing gets into questions because when Philip comes up and he hears this man reading out of the word of God, he asks him a question. And this is what we do in life as we get to know each other. We ask each other questions. Who is Jesus to you? What is his word to you? What's going on? You know, this, this just happened in your life? You know, like how are you feeling? How are you processing through this? This is where the Spirit leads us to come along others, along others, alongside of other people and we ask questions. But when we ask a question, what do we have to do? God, listen. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. When I ask you a question, whatever's going on in here, that's what's going to come out in the conversation. We take some time, we get you loaded with some caffeine and get you chattering away out of your heart. Whatever's going on in your life, we're going to get to the context of your life. What you're praying about, what you're reading, what God's doing in your life, what's bugging you, what's making you angry. Is it politics? Is it a person? You know, as we rub shoulders, as we're attached to one another, and you ask a question of another human being and you listen, you get to know that person. You get, to, you get to get out of your own shoes and try and step into their shoes and see their life or life in general from a different perspective than your own. And one thing, as I've aged, as I follow Jesus, uh, he continues to reveal to me more and more about how narrow my perspective on life really is. If I approach your life with my perspective, I'm going to totally miss what's going on in your life. I have to ask I have to, and not just ask so that I can use you as a tool and get you to do what I want you to do, but really ask, like, what, what is going on in your life and why? And sometimes I just need to listen. Other times the Lord is going to use me to speak into your life. Sometimes you're just going to listen to me, and other times the Lord's going to use you to speak into my life. Very naturally, the Spirit is going to lead us and does lead us into these conversations. So as he is reading this scroll and Philip asks him this question, this man's response is, how can I understand what I'm reading unless somebody leads me, unless somebody guides me? And just for context, we're not going to provide any commentary on Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53. But this is one of those passages that you should have dog-eared, underlined, marked. This is one of those passages where when we read through it, 
We can have misunderstanding. We can not know what it says and what it means. And this is where we go sit with other people. The, the word of God is the best commentary on the word of God. So a lot of the imagery that's used in here, we want to reference the rest of the word of God in regards to what's being said here. We want to listen to other teachers. Again, somebody to lead us like, what does this mean? And How many times has the Lord, through his spirit, revealed a truth about his word to you? Lots, right? I love those times when you're just reading something. It's like, Lord, I never saw that before. Or the light bulb goes on. Oh, that's what it means. I get it. And more often than not, though, it hasn't been through, like, self-revelation of the Lord speaking to me. More often than not, he's used somebody else to teach me, to instruct me. Somebody else who loves him. Somebody else who studied, who has learned from somebody else, who learned from somebody else. Again, no revelation is a private interpretation. The Holy Spirit is teaching us. All right, very long-winded thing of saying, study this passage if you never have. But listen to what this man is reading in his chariot and to what he doesn't understand and how he's asking Philip to help him. Behold, this is Isaiah 52, 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what had not been told them, they shall see. And what they had not heard, they shall consider. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. 
He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul into death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Do you have any questions in regards to the details of what I just read? Go ask your questions. Ask your questions of God. Ask your questions of the word of God. Ask your questions of brothers and sisters who you trust who will lead you into Like, what does this mean? And why does it mean that? And here is this man who has made this tremendous journey at a tremendous cost and expense to go and worship the God who created the heavens and the earth. And as he has left that worship experience, he's sitting in this text. Maybe he's heard some of the information about Christ. Maybe this, in the, again, in the communication in the community, they've already been talking about Jesus. But his question is left is, who is Isaiah talking about? Is Isaiah talking about himself? Is he talking about the nation of Israel? Is he talking about the Messiah? And it says that Philip's response to this man's question is that Philip opened his mouth beginning at this scripture and he preached Jesus to him. And so as we get up and go as we're led by the Holy Spirit, as we get our eyes and attention on to where we are in context and the circumstance of life, as we ask questions of those individuals and we take the time to listen, our response out of our mouth is not to be our flesh. Out of our mouth is not to be the wisdom of this world or the wisdom of your own mind and your own heart. Out of our mouth is to be the scripture. Beginning at this verse, this is where this man is in the word of God and this is what his questions are revolving around. And it says from this scripture, and I guarantee Philip spent some time in this particular scripture, in its passage, in its context. And it says that he gospelized, he evangelized, he preached the good news about Jesus to this man. And this is, and this is one of those, you know, I've heard pastors say it multiple times over the year. You can literally begin in any passage of the Bible and lead to a conversation about who Jesus Christ is, what it is that he's done what he is doing right now, who he is for all eternity, unchanging, what he's going to do in the future. We use the word of God to frame our conversation about God. Powerful. I have had so many opportunities to just sit and listen to people take scripture and explain to me and preach to me Jesus out of those different passages. Old Testament, New Testament. Not trying to hyper-spiritualize and make the word of God say something that it doesn't say. But here is who the very God of gods is. This is why he called Abraham. This is why he called Moses. This is why he called Isaiah and Jeremiah and the other prophets. This is why he sent his son. Plan A. 
This is why Jesus taught. This is why Jesus performed miracles. This is why we can believe that these things are true. This is who saw these things. This is why the the Bible leads us into what the truth is and then in response, what are we supposed to do with the truth? From scripture, preaching Jesus. Can, can, Can you imagine this scenario? This guy's not by himself. He's got a whole bunch of servants with him. There's people. This is a traveling caravan. Here Philip's come alongside. He's hearing the word of God being read. He asks this question. He listens. And the spirit of God is the one who leads his mind and he leads his heart to respond exactly what this man needs to hear. How often does God give to you a voice, whether through his spirit inside or through the mouth of another believer exactly what you need to hear at the exact moment that you needed to hear it. It's what I love about this passage, about, you know, it's really easy to talk about the multitudes and the masses, and it's very, it's really impersonal. Even what I'm doing right now, this is much easier to do than a one-on-one conversation. Because a one-on-one conversation, we get into kind of the nitty-gritty. We get into the questions and the answers and those kinds of things. But here, God is attentive to a man that the culture could care less about. Here's a man from another country, different culture, different ways. He looks different. He talks different. He's been mutilated in his flesh that makes everybody uncomfortable and ooh. He is there worshiping the same God that Philip worshiped. And here God caused his, his attention to be on that man because the Spirit's attention was on him. And the Spirit led him and empowered him to witness Jesus to him. I, this is a beautiful picture of how the Spirit leads us in our lives. And this guy's response is, is there anything that is hindering me or preventing me from being baptized? Is there what, what prevents somebody from believing in Jesus? What prevents somebody from obeying Jesus? Anything? Just yourself. The only hindrance is your own will, your own desires, your own rebellion, your wants, whatever it may be. The only thing that hinders you from a relationship with the God who created you, the only thing that hinders you from following him moment by moment, day by day, is yourself. So for this man, there was nothing that hindered him. Your culture doesn't hinder you. The color of your skin doesn't hinder you. Your sin doesn't hinder you. Your background, your current context, your wealth. Here's a a rich man getting saved, not a poor man. Your economic class doesn't prevent you. The only thing that would prevent this man from submitting his life to Jesus Christ in this moment would be himself. There's no religious class that he has to go through. He doesn't have to wait for the, one of the apostles to come show up and lay hands on him and go through the pattern that we saw earlier. There was nothing that prevented this man. Here's water. What's preventing me from being baptized? 
Nothing. Now, the verse 37, depending on what translation of the Bible that you have, um, this is more than likely not in the original. Um, there's manuscript evidence that we can sit in, and I'm not going to get into all the details, but it seems like a scribe added verse 37 later on to give a response to this. Because Philip is saying, if you believe in Jesus... If you love the Lord with all your hearts, if you love, if you believe with all of your heart, there's, there's nothing that's hindering you. If you believe, you can be baptized. And then it has this man's, his confession that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. What's important to pull out here, again, like depending on your translation, you'll have different footnotes at the bottom. Some of your translations will just remove this verse out of the text and have it as a footnote at the bottom. So I want you to be aware of this, but what it does communicate to us is very early on in church history, here is what the church was looking for as people are responding to Jesus Christ in confessing him. Of, it's a confession of faith. I believe that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, is the very Messiah, that he is the Christ. And as definition, as defined by scriptures, he is the Son of God. He is the God who tabernacled in the flesh. And it is his sacrifice that paid for my sins. This is what I believe. So now that's the, this becomes that, um, you know, as we baptize others, it's, we're, not, we're not just getting people wet. There is this initiation into the body of Christ. Not, and again, that's, that line that we cross over into faith, that's the moment that we get saved. But then in this moment of baptism, there's this public proclamation, this public witness that I am identifying my entire life, my entire being with this man, Jesus of Nazareth, in who he is as the Messiah. And this is what this man did. So he goes down into the water. They go down the water together. They come up out of the water. And Philip disappears. In that, we don't have time to sit in this this morning, but where the, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. This is a supernatural experience. It's similar to when Jesus was uh, on the road to Emmaus in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus was teaching the disciples. He's, conveying, he's teaching them out of scripture in regards to who the Christ is. And when Jesus finally breaks bread, they realize who he is. Oh, this is the Lord. And he just disappears from their midst. This is the same kind of miracle that is being um, displayed. This is the word that we get rapture from. Um, again, there's coming a moment when we are going to be caught up into his presence. But for Philip, he is caught away in this scenario. And the eunuch, this man, he is left what? Is he left weeping? Says that he's left rejoicing. And really, again, this is as the Spirit is leading us in our lives. As we have the opportunity to boldly proclaim Jesus to other people. The prayer, the goal, the emphasis is that we leave Jesus behind when we leave. Because when we leave Jesus behind, that's where the faith is attached to. It's not attached to the person who brought the message of the gospel. It's not attached to the ministry that that person's faith would be in Jesus. And Jesus alone would be in the, in the power of God, not in the, the words of wisdom of men. 
but here that an individual would be left rejoicing in their relationship with who God is. And this is the legacy that Philip left in this man's life. Now, can you imagine this? Can you imagine the Holy Spirit bringing an individual into your life to share the truth about who Jesus Christ is? The moment that you come to the Lord as a baby Christian, he removes that person out of your life and you're now left to follow Jesus on your own. Oh my, how are you going to do it? Could you do it? Yes. Do you know why? Because through faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God is in you. And regardless of your circumstance, he will lead you. And this, later on in the, in, the, in the book of Acts, Philip is called the evangelist. This is the legacy that Philip leaves behind. That in his life, wherever he went, from this point he goes, you know, he's found in, it's, it's Ashdod, it's north of Gaza, preaching Jesus from village to village, lands in Caesarea. 20 years later, he's there in Caesarea as Paul is coming and heading into Jerusalem. It says that he has four daughters that are all prophets, that are all proclaiming the word of God, led by the Holy Spirit in that community. He leaves this incredible legacy of not just God working through him, but what a life looks like just to be in love with the Lord, to be filled with his spirit, to be filled with his wisdom, and just to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us in whatever that looks like. And again, we don't have any of his trials and tribulations. We have a couple of big glory points of of Philip's life. But we know that through the process of life, the legacy that he left behind is here is how the Spirit leads us. Very naturally, sometimes he's going to bring in supernatural experiences, but very naturally he's going to lead us. So have that courage and faith in God. Get up and go. Get up and do what he tells you to do. If you're timid, if you're afraid, you give that to him. God, I am. here's everything that I see about me, about why I can't do this. But I give these things to you, Lord, because I trust you, because I know that you're leading me to do this. Lord, would you please open my eyes and allow me to see my current circumstance? What do you want me to do today, Lord? In two minutes, we're going to get up and we're going to worship God. Ask God, God, what do you want me to see through these lyrics? What do you want me to confess? What do you want me, how do you want me to rejoice in you? What do I need to give thanks in? What do I need to to let go out of my hands and just offer up to you and trust? We're gonna, after worship, we're gonna hang out with each other and fellowship with each other. Lord, who do you want me to talk to? Who do I need to listen to? Who do I need to ask a question of? Who do I need to sharpen? Who needs to sharpen me? Lord, what do you want me to do tomorrow? Get my eyes Cause me to be attentive. Help me to ask those hard questions and to be patient and to wait for the answer. Help me to approach and attach myself to other human beings, believer or unbeliever, for your namesake. Lord, give those people the boldness to respond to you. In our communication, don't let it be with worldly wisdom, but Lord, let it be out of your scripture. Let me preach the truth about who Jesus is out of his word. And Lord, as you 
Use me to bring yourself glory. When I leave those circumstances, may I not leave a bad aroma and a bad taste in other human beings' life because it's all the stink of my flesh. But may I leave that person or those people in the position of rejoicing in you because everything that I did led them to look at you, not to look at me or anything else. So worship team, come on up. Heavenly Father, again, we are keeping our attention on you through worship, through your word, as we go about the circumstances of of life with one another, as we turn our our attention, Lord, to, to lyrics that brothers and sisters have written, that our brothers and sisters, that they're gonna lead us in the worship of you right now. Let us hear, Lord. Let us sing. Let us proclaim your praise and our thanks for you. Let us hear the voice of your spirit as you lead us and trust you in all of these things, Lord. Help us not to get ourselves all bound up in different kinds of knots, but just to follow you in freedom and in love, trusting that your grace is truly sufficient for all of our needs. We love you, Lord. Meet us as we worship you.